and welcome back to Subspace Radio. It's me, Kevin. And me, Rob. And we are here to talk about Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 6, Parth's Ferengi Heart Place. Sure, why not? We've been given so many beautiful things this season with Lower Decks. Let's go back to Ferengana and see it in more than just like a, a rainy uh, a matte painting or something like that from uh, Deep Space Nine. Let's, let's get the full idea, as Mariner says, this would be heaven if God was stupid. I forgot that line. That is good. Um, I, too, noticed the distinct lack of rain on Ferenginar this episode. Uh, there was some rain. Yeah. I believe I did see some rain. There was some uh, ponchos that our Intrepid crew members were wearing to stave off the uh, the nonstop monsoon and rain of uh, Ferenginar. Uh, my, my eyes were dazzled by the Uncle Quark's Youth Casino sign. <laughs> and what was it? The the uh, haggle at the Museum of Gambling and gamble at the <laughs> Museum, at the Museum of, of Haggling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so much joy and delight at Franganar, a homeworld that we have only seen kind of a couple of interior sets of before and one matte painting with a lot of rain. Yes, a lot of interiors with very low circular uh, doorways but we see a full expansion of uh, the Ferengi culture. And of course mm. they embrace commercials and TVs focused on uh, rent cops. Just like Orion earlier this season, I now realize that this had to wait for Lower Decks because it is a comedy society in some respects. And so uh, choosing to show it to us as a cartoon for the first time or in animated form for the first time allows them to go there and go deep with all the de delightful details that probably would not work quite as well in a live action series. Well, yes, the groundwork for the Ferengi culture was really built up in uh, D Space Nine, so much so fans would always go, oh, it's a Ferengi episode, you can skip that. But no, there are some good Ferengi episodes out there. But that's Oh, just touching. you wait. I, I may surprise you with the episode of uh, Ferengi culture that I have brought to discuss today, Rob. I'm very interested to see which one you have. Not as skippable as we might think, some of those early ones, I think. Excellent. How did you find uh, this this trip onto the Ferengi homeworld? Well, um, yeah, delightful from beginning to end. I do have to say, I was hoping that you would recognize the title because I have learned by reading the reference that is in the title. And I thought that sounds like something that Rob might know something about. So apparently Parth Ferengi's Heart Place is a reference to Garth Marenghi's Dark Place which is a 2004 British horror parody television series created by Richard Ayoade and Matthew Holness for Channel 4. Yeah, Richard Ayoade is, of course, famous for the IT crowd. Yes. I sadly do not know how deep cut this reference is, so I'm hearing it for the first time from you. Yeah, I think I need to go and watch this thing, but it, it is bizarre. It sounds like kind of a parody of the Twilight Zone or something. It is... It is a short series that is presented as if it was a, a set of lost episodes from a previously canceled horror anthology, right. is my understanding from reading the Wikipedia page. But boy, reaching into your deep bucket of things you're a fan of and pulling that out to reference in a Star Trek title, I'm kind of like, okay, 
I, I would say 99.999% of people who see this Star Trek title would go, hmm, well, that's weird. What's going on there? Sadly, I am one of those people. I will need to do a deep <laughs> dive like you have done. So I feel ashamed. Yeah, um, bizarre one. This episode did, of course, have the return of Rol and Lita. Yes, great to have them back, the original actors. It was one of those sets of characters that I think I didn't realize I was wanting to see <laughs> what happened next to them or where they were post-DS9. That was such a delight, our visit to DS9 last season of like getting to see these characters in the after times, uh, in yes. the happily ever after period of their lives. And uh, especially and, with D space nine, because it doesn't end that happily at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> and getting to see Raman Lita leading Ferengi culture into a bright new future was uh, great to see. And yet, you know, they aren't that changed. They are clever, deceptive negotiators for a good deal, just like any good Ferengi should be. Rom is uh, the Grand Nagus, but he's also a union man. Let's not yeah. forget that. <laughs> we had quite a few stories this time. We had the, uh, I'm not sure which the A plot is, what we had the negotiation plot. We had, um, we had Tendi and Rutherford having to pretend to be a couple. Oh, that gave me life. That was so good. <laughs> we had Mariner catching up with an old Ferengi fr friend who first appeared in season one. Yes, continuing to grapple with her demons. Yes, uh, she is repeating the same story again, but doing it in a, a bar fight, which uh, was kind of frustrating. And uh, Boindler being sucked in by um, commercial television. <laughs> Will they or won't they? His moment where he goes, they just lied in a commercial. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the negotiation plot, I don't know if this is what's needed, but it is kind of bothering me this week that we can't seem to decide whether Captain Freeman is good at her job or not. In one episode, she's screwing up a thousands-year-old computer by not taking advice from her own crew. And in the very next, she's the only one who sees what the Ferengi are doing at the negotiation table. So I think we are being asked to accept that she is not a great captain in terms of uh, skill and experience, but she's better than most admirals is, is also <laughs> what we're being asked to accept. Yeah, there's a reason why she's staying at California class. But yeah, there was very much a case of this. There's a lot of familiar tropes. So that for me was a very classic sitcom-y type setup where you have to achieve something. The person in charge is actually not as smart as the person who could be doing it. And then right at the end, it flips around. That was classic sitcom-y structure. The same thing with Tendi and uh, Rutherford. They were sort of like going, the friends having to pretend to be a couple. And then that gets a bit too awkward for them. And what does that mean? That was very classic sitcom-y type stuff as well. Yeah. And then we were treading the same ground with Mariner and Boyle, with That was a bit of a classic cliche as well. Again, he wants to do all this other stuff, but he's drawn into a lot of stuff. So for me, it was very much filled with nothing but, in many ways, cliche, sitcom-y type stuff. Yeah, and all of them reset at the end of the episode as well, which for me, yeah. that is the only thing that I wanted more from the Rutherford Tendy story is seeing them like cross that line and then blush at the feelings they had for each other. Uh, I was like, oh, this is so delicious. This is what I have wanted to see from these two. 
But then by the end of the episode, they're like, whoop, okay, we fixed that. Let's crawl into the Jeffries tube together. Ah, this feels right. And it's a good comedy beat, but to me, it undermines character development that I am craving. Yeah, and there was a sense of they, they didn't go in many ways far enough of specificities. It was just generic stuff about I like your eyes or all this type of stuff. They didn't go into that deepness yeah. of where... They didn't get real with it. Yeah, where that connection with the two of them go is so strong and so why they are feeling so awkward. They're getting so awkward about talking about nudity or they're getting talking about, you know, they're pretending in this particular way. I'm going, I want to go further about why they feel so awkward because the, how the two of them are so connected to each other individually. Yeah. And I can't tell if I want that and they're not giving it to us yet because they want to tell that story later and they're giving it a, they're giving us little little crumbs and eventually yeah. we'll get there over over many episodes and seasons or if I am wanting something that this show just is not that show like maybe this show is like we are not the big character arcs or relationship stories show we are a comedy show uh, and so we're not going to go there. I'm reminded of the sitcom Friends. When it yeah. got real good is when these characters started having multi-episode arcs in their relationships with each other. And Ross and Rachel go through their will-they-won't-they they period. And then they get together for a whole season. And then they break up. And then they get back together. And then they get married. And then they have a baby. Like That sort of stuff is what brought people back week after week to friends is like, yes, every episode was a self-contained story and, and comedy episode, but the character relationships, the friendships grew and evolved and were affected by each individual story. And we have a bit of that here in Lower Decks, but I can't tell if they are going to go all the way with something like a Rutherford Tendy will they won't they story. They're definitely hanging a lantern on it by having Boimler watch a show literally entitled Will They Won't They about <laughs> people who have unacknowledged feelings for each other in a workplace. Like they know what they're doing there. They're telling us we know what you want and we are going to put it on a Ferengi soap opera to show <laughs> you that we know what you want and then we're not going to give it to you. So I kind of want to give them credit and say it's obviously deliberate. I hope they're going to get there eventually, but I don't know. I don't know if that would break Lower Decks to to go the full Friends route. Yeah, I mean, to reference Friends again, I mean, one of the key plots as well in the final season was where it felt a little bit like jumping the shark with Joey developing feelings for Rachel and Rachel kind of, and then they kind of realize, no, this doesn't work. Yeah. We're just friends. And I find that there's something quite powerful in the structure of Lower Decks about, yeah, a guy and a girl can just be friends and it doesn't it is, need to develop that way. refreshing and interesting for its own sake. But I think, nevertheless, this episode gave us a fresh taste of what's on the other side of that line they are refusing to cross. Yeah, exactly. And there's always, in long-serving shows, those relationships that come and go and last and endure, but also those relationships that try to start don't kind of work. Why don't they work? And how do they, you know, stop, start and kind of stay uh, in that friend zone? It was very much a case of they were manipulating the audience who have been watching it going, we've been seeing what you're doing. And that's the writers going, well, we know we, you see what we're doing and we're going to do this because we know that you know that we know that you know. 
Speaking of friends. <laughs> so we uh, we journeyed to Ferenginar in this episode, and it uh, prompted us to think, what other like really great Ferengi episodes have there been in the past? We've, mm. we've certainly delved into some of them before in our explorations of Deep Space Nine, but let's go looking for... For us, our favorite Ferengi episodes of whatever series. And uh, yeah, Rob, I might surprise you this week. I'm very interested to see where will you be coming from? Where will you be going? Will you be going with the first episode of uh, Star Trek Next Generation uh, with the appearance of the Ferengi? Uh, No, I will not be going for The Last Outpost, which is a very (laughs) early TNG episode where where the Ferengi are introduced, but they they are a little more than hissing, energy whip-wielding, two-dimensional villains in that episode. Although there is there's a taste of, like, they are established as, like, a mercantile race, and, yes. and there, is a, there is a certain kind of logical thinking that they are not capable of because it's just <laughs> not in their nature. There, there are those seeds planted there, but I would say that the Ferengi did not capture my interest then. But I did pick... I went back to find, like... When was the first time that I felt like I wanted to lean in on the Ferengi? And this is season three, episode 24 of The Next Generation, Menage a Troy. Menage a Troy. All right. Okay. Take us through that. Do you remember this one, Rob? I do not, but I was hoping that you would uh, slip into my pool for a little bit, but I am more than happy to come and I trust you to tell us where the gold is for the Ferengi in uh, uh, the gold-pressed latinum. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, so in Menage a Troy, Riker, Deanna Troy, and Luxana Troy are kidnapped by a Ferengi ship that wants to use the telepathic powers of Luxana Troy in order to have an advantage in business negotiations. And at the same time, the captain who has his eyes on Luxana Troy as a prize in his business also has fallen head over heels in love with her. So he is both (laughs) throwing himself emotionally and in business terms at the poor ambassador Luxana. Well, Uh, it's Major Barrett. I mean, who wouldn't be? Come on. Yes, this is, if you enjoy Major Barrett's turn in Deep Space Nine, and you've referenced it several times, Rob, so I think you are a fan. This is that in The Next Generation for me. We often think of the times where she came on board the Enterprise looking for a husband and, uh, <laughs> and you know, creeped on each and every man in the corridor. But this is a different color for Majel Barrett. And to me, she is playing much stronger here. She is able right. to seriously, as a serious diplomat, rebuff the advances of this creepy little Ferengi daemon who who then kidnaps her from a garden on Beta Zed along with her daughter and Commander Riker. And then she, along with Riker and Troy, they have one of those great escape capers where they play the aliens against each other or play their weaknesses. There's a great scene where Riker is playing chess with their captor, the Ferengi guard. And he's like, oh, if only I could get out there, I would be able to see the board better and, and give you a better lesson in chess. <laughs> and the Ferengi's like, all right, but don't try anything, human. And he lets him out of the uh, out of the cell. And of course, Riker takes him down. But um, lots of good telepathy between Troy and 
her mother, Loxana, and that telepathy is not just used as a gimmick to like comment on the situation of the people. They are actually using the telepathy in order to get one over on the Ferengi. And so it is in some ways a really interesting Betazoid story as well. Speaking of Betazoids not being very uh, well explored, as we were talking about last week with the three Betazoids on the Cerritos, this is another kind of, we actually visit Betazed. We actually spend some time in a park there. And notably <laughs> for the Troy and Riker shippers, they, taking a stroll in that park, remembered the good times they had together when they were dating. And there is a very, very sexy kiss. Before they get kidnapped, Riker and Troy are well on track to getting back together in this episode. Hey. If it weren't for those nasty Ferengi to sidetrack them, I think I think they would have gotten back together here in, on this picnic. Ferengi. But yeah, um, one of the Ferengi officers is played by Ethan Phillips, who's uh, who you know as our great chef Neelix on the Voyager. Well, we say chef in inverted commas. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> technically, technically. <laughs> There is uh, the introduction of Umox, the uh, the erotic massage of the Ferengi ears in this episode. Excellent. Yeah, Luxana just absently, as she's trying to sweet talk the Ferengi captain into giving up his command codes, she just starts absently uh, fingering his earlobes and he goes, oh, no one has given me Umox like this before. And uh, there you go. <laughs> That that moment there was like okay the Ferengi are now fully formed as a yes. as a culture they are about love and business being intermingled and uh, getting umox wherever you can. Oh look, it's it's a good culture if you can get it. I feel for me that this episode is like the exact halfway point between where the Ferengi started, which was an attempt to create the recurring villains for the next generation way back yes. in the last outpost and it didn't That's quite right. work out it didn't quite work but that was the intent is like these will be our klingons and it's halfway between that and where the ferengi ended up in deep space 9 is almost like the clown or the comic relief of mm. that very dark story uh, and here you can see everything that they would become in deep space 9 but it is also still connected to the the creepy, you know, finger waggling parody of a stereotype that uh, that the Ferengi started as, and so um, yeah, it's a it's a great one to revisit. I think. Excellent. I have to definitely give that a uh, watch because yeah, mine uh, my experience is definitely D Space Nine and beyond. What have you got for us, Rob? Well, I've got in many ways the most Ferengi of Ferengi episodes, uh, D Space Nine, of course. Season six, episode 10, we don't just have one Ferengi. We have a magnificent six Ferengi. What an episode. The uh, magnificent Ferengi is the most Ferengi of episodes that you could possibly it's imagine. It's right there in the title. Yep. We have uh, Mugi has been captured by the Dominion. We are in the heart of the Dominion War, and uh, Quark has been given orders by the Grand Nagus to go and form a negotiation to get her back. And so he calls upon uh, other Ferengis to join him to uh, bring back his mother, who, of course, as we all know, is um, quite of a trailblazer within the Ferengi community. She does not uh, walk around naked. She does wear clothes. 
Uh, she gets herself involved in all sorts of commerce and so much so she is advising the Grand Nagus on all the financial situations of the Ferengi culture, so much so that she's pretty much ruling the empire uh, unofficially. But she needs to be rescued because she's been captured by the Dominion. So Quark gets uh, Rom, Nog, uh, Brunt. We have Brunt back, the wonderful Jeffrey Coombs. It is not an incredible episode of Deep Space Nine or Star Trek unless you have Jeffrey Coombs there. Plus a couple of other Ferengis, like a cousin of Quark's is there and a Ferengi assassin. So to having a little bit of a touch from the next gen era, we do see a violent side and a quite threatening side of Ferengis as well as their love of Latinum. This is just pure, like I've talked about, uh, Bada Bing Bada Bang, which is a uh, homage to the heist uh, movies. Uh, I was going to say, this has the feel of a, a Ferengi heist movie. It is very heisty, and also, of course, the Magnificent Seven, uh, which it takes its name from, based, of course, of Seven Samurai Kurosawa's great film. It's about getting a group group together to go yeah. off on a mission. There is a plan. It, Everyone plays their part, and then the the joy is watching the plan go wrong and uh, how they how they roll with the punches. Look, and it wouldn't be a Star Trek episode from the nineties for or the noughties for me to talk about if it didn't have a awesome rock star. So I've talked about uh, Voyager, where Tom Morello, the guitar player from Audio Slave, and of course Rage Against the Machine appeared. Um, and in this episode, we have Iggy Pop. I kid you not, Iggy Pop is uh, here playing a Vorta. Yeah, great Vorta. I mean, they couldn't ha- they couldn't have Wayun because uh, Jeffrey Coombs was otherwise occupied, though. Mm. I would back Jeffrey Coombs to play in a split screen scene with himself, two different characters, and have plenty of audience members not realize it's the same actor. Look, it's a crime that hasn't been done that they just haven't created an entire Star Trek spin off show with Jeffrey Coombs in every <laughs> single role. Look, they do it in animated Star Wars uh, with Bradley D. Baker. He's the voice of every single clone in the Bad Batch series. They could do that with Star Trek with um, Jeffrey Coombs. I kid you not. Iggy Pop plays a great Vorta, though. I love the kind of arch uh, version of the Vorta that he plays here. Both both actors playing Vorta in this are great. Of course, we have Keevan, who's been kidnapped, is uh, taken on board, and his disdain for uh, Ferengis is uh, made very clear. And if this was done in modern times, I know what his final lines would have been. Oh. In the 1990s, as he is shot and he looks at the hole in his stomach, he just says before he dies, I hate Ferengi. And I have no doubt that he would have dropped the F-bomb if it was done nowadays. If it was good enough for Amanda Plummer in season three of Picard, it would be good for Keevan in um, Magnificent Ferengi. So the, this is just amazing. All the Ferengi characters are firing on all cylinders. You see all the different level of Ferengi culture there and different types of characters, even in many ways more so than how Klingons are represented. There's sort of like very much a uniformity with Klingons, a little bit of varieties, obviously with Worf and stuff like that. But here, like Nog is completely different to Quark. Quark is completely different to Brunt. Uh, Mookie is completely different to Quark. Just the, I love that stuff. The, I've talked many times about how entire 
cultures or species or worlds are often in Star Trek shrunk to a single city block and that it, we are told represents a homogenous culture that uh, yeah. occurs off screen. Here we get six Ferengi together and each one represents a completely different color of the rainbow from that amazing culture. I love that that makes Ferenginar feel bigger. Yeah, just incredible. And there's, a, there's dark humor in there as well with the with the death of Keevan and Nog realizing they can reanimate his body <laughs> to to still do the the exchange. You oh, see I the intelligence. Oh, I forgot about that. Ah, oh, that this is also it's, among everything else. This is a weekend at Bernie's. Yes, <laughs> there's a tribute to weekend at Bernie's. It just shows the cunning and intelligence of Quark. Uh, of course, uh, Moogie is kidnapped by the Dominion because she was going to a exotic location to have her earlobes lifted. Uh huh. Yeah. So they are firmer and more, more supple than they have ever been in over a hundred years. I believe she says <laughs> is one of her lines. She's starting to negotiate with um, the Dominion with with the Vorta played by Iggy Pop about you should be doing this and doing that and you should have skincare as well. And he says the famous line: "It would be great to negotiate this with you a bit further, but we're going to have to kill you." <laughs> Having revisited this episode, I have a question for you, Rob, which is, do you feel like there is the potential for the Ferengi to carry, I'm not, I'm not saying this is going to happen tomorrow or even ever, but would it be possible to create a fully formed Star Trek series with Ferengi characters at the center of it? Like, are they robust enough to carry a series or... Are they one of those ingredients that are good in small doses? Um, well, I think Aaron Eisenberg proved it because he was such an incredible actor and an amazing performer and what he did with Nog over seven seasons to get him to the point where he was, you know, he wasn't a regular. He was only there, every, you know, so like a supporting character would come in and out for a couple of episodes every season, but he felt like he was always there. Yeah. And his, his place as a Ferengi in Starfleet, um, really showed that he could keep his belief and heritage and who he is as a Ferengi, but strive for more ideals and how that affected, you know, Rom as well. Um, so it, I definitely would, I don't know if you could do like a Ferengi centric, mm. um, but you could, I'm, I'm always quite disappointed that they haven't put another Ferengi as a, as a Starfleet member on, mm. on a ship. I think yep. that would be a fantastic choice. And I mean, it, you know, no one did it better than, than Aaron, but there's definitely uh, room for a, a character similar to Nog, but with that type of a Ferengi who's moved on from the capitalistic ideals and really embraced the Federation, but using that cunning and intelligence and all that stuff that is lauded in um, Ferengi culture, using that to be a cunning member of a Federation crew. You mentioned Richard Ayoade's uh, IT crowd earlier in the episode, and that got me thinking of like how many comedies are about strange characters in ordinary situations. Yeah, and there's no stranger characters than Ferengis, and no. I kind of like the Star Trek comedy that was driven by a group of Ferengi each week placed in what would otherwise be an ordinary situation in the Star Trek universe and seeing them re react to that and interact with that situation, I feel there is potential there. 
Well, yeah. And I mean, especially that's been the ongoing debate about, you know, Rod and saying there's no religion in his future or, or no money and stuff like that. But that may be a case of the Federation of future, but it's, as we've talked about before, how those ideals are far more interesting if they're not in a vacuum. And so to have this, uh, culture that is everything in many ways against the Federation belief that is driven by capitalism and driven by oppression of the female of the species, um, shows our ideals within Federation and how they compare and the light can only shine bright in against that darkness. Same with Mariner saying, you know, this is, you know, this is heaven. If God was stupid, um, is a case of sure that, you know, the Federation may not have religion in it, but religion is, <laughs> is a powerful, potent thing that has been around for thousands of years and will be around for thousands more years, whether you believe it or not. Yeah. And, and ignoring it denies you so many opportunities for drama, storytelling, character development, and telling other sides of the story. And that was the beautiful thing about Deep Space Nine with having the Bajorans as a major focus. You get to see this, this culture that is fundamentally based on faith and everything else follows behind that and how that affects that culture was fascinating to see. Indeed, um, yes. And how Kira battled with it. And so to see that as well, how Nog dealt with his, he was torn between his Ferengi uh, culture and his, his ideals of Starfleet. There's definitely more potential there and it shapes the Ferengi out of just being the Ferengi are the funny, silly ones. There yeah. is definitely more layers to them. All right. Well, it was there in the title all along. The Magnificent Ferengi is the best <laughs> Ferengi episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, if not of all of Star Trek. I believe it is. But yeah, this this visit to Ferengi on Lower Decks this week was uh, maybe we'll call it a close second. <laughs> well, look, any reference where they have to put gold press latinum into a machine so they could use the gold press latinum machine to use the toilet. Yes. Um, I love that doubling up of uh, gold press <laughs> latinum. And of course, you, you can't park on Ferengi now for free. You cannot park in Ferengana for free. Wherever you park your ship, you have got to immediately put in uh, uh, Latin bars. Uh, I am told also that Quark's Federation Experience Bar that Tendi and Rutherford go to, is its design is based on Star Trek The Experience from Las Vegas. Yes, yes. The Ferengi bar that you went to at the end of that, uh, that theme park ride into Star Trek. There's a wonderful documentary on one of the DVDs. I think it came out with the DVD box set years ago, and I still kept that even now. I've got them all on Blu-ray. Um, of the final days of the Star Trek experience in Vegas when it closed down. Cause like the actors who'd been working there for years and makeup and, and saying goodbye to that. And especially quite recently, the galaxy's edge experience in Orlando has closed down, which was the interactive, um, hotel experience. Mm. And I've had some friends who are actually cast in pivotal roles oh, wow. in that. And they've yeah. been working on it for the last two or three years yeah, and like they thought that was going to be their retirement plan. That was them till they were ready to give up acting. That was the rest of their, uh, uh, acting career, but to have it closed down just after three years is an end of an era. And they, I remember that from the, the Star Trek experience one, these people who put years of, you know, yeah. of their life and in some dedicated small way, it feels like just like an unrecognized Star Trek cast breaking up. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I definitely have that connection with, um, Seeing the Quark's Federation experience was very much in the similar light. Yeah. All right. Well, at this point, I have stopped entirely trying to guess what Lower Decks will have for us next week. It is well always a surprise, 
and always a delight. Well, last episode we did sort of like bring in back to the to the arc that's happening, and we found out a little bit more this time that oh yeah, one of the, there, yeah there was beautiful. an interesting twist in the cold open there of the the Frey who had apparently made a deal with that ship to to come and oh, they told us we would make lots of profit and you know him saying oh they're right on time so it's it is suggesting that this is not an implacable a completely alien foe that this is a presence or a, a force that is able to cut a deal with a traitor on board a Ferengi ship is really interesting and unlike previous episodes where they just happened to come across it this ship you know the ship that we have seen the for the last previous episodes actually transported into that space you know warped out into that space and came there specifically to uh meet the Ferengi ship so yeah, we're definitely we're seeing more. we're getting uh, more yeah, little bits here and there. So I thought we'd finish off the episode like we did last week with a little bit of a hint of the arc that's happening. Indeed. Um, it took me way too long to catch on, but I have noticed this week that no matter what species encounters that ship, the alert klaxon on board is the exact same sound effect. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> the alien red alert sound is the same no matter what alien we're talking about. Excellent. It's the universal translator. It just translated it to the same sound. Have you seen the uh, our very short Trek episodes? I have seen all of the very short Treks, uh, and what a roller coaster of strangeness! Look, I think there's two that we haven't discussed. So there was Worst Contact, and um, I don't think we've discussed anything except that very first one with the skin a cat. Oh, no, I think we did talk about the the hologram one where there was a hint of the Prodigy cast in there. Yes, that's right. What have you thought about our last uh, couple of very short Trek outings? Uh, worst Contact did what it said on the tin. It was incredibly gross and disgusting. We never talked about Holiday Party, though, I have to say. And I... <laughs> Holiday Party is a weird one where Spock is, like, screening bloopers for the rest of the crew. Yes, it's... I don't know. I feel like it. it's one that gets funnier with rewatches. The first time I watched it... The stuff he was showing was so shocking and offensive <laughs> that I was the screaming crew member running out crying in the background. Uh, that that kind of spoke to my reaction from the first time I watched it. But uh, I have to give it credit. The more you watch it, the more you become desensitized to the trauma and uh, and and find the funny. I mean, yeah, seeing half a crewman transported into. Uh, is is one one thing that sticks into the memory, and it yes. would take multiple watches to be able to get past that and find out just how wickedly funny it is. And Ethan Peck again, yeah, you know, as you said, MVP, uh, putting himself out there and doing an incredible job. 
Yeah, but this last one of Walk Don't Run, with which culminates in the jam session with Riker, Scotty, Scotty slash Ringo Starr. I did not see the resemblance <laughs> until now. And Sulu, of course. Three-part harmonies with uh, Tendi. Yeah, narrated very capably by Tendi. And uh, wow, it's, it's a journey. I think it's at least twice as long as the others, or at least it feels it. Um, that they did the whole song. They did. The, I, th I think they just do like a verse and a chorus. But I'm they going. No, they've gone to a bridge. They are. They are really packing in this whole song. And let's let's hear those three part harmonies multiple times. Look, I'm going to say it, Rob. Uh, oh it's my. not going to be popular, but I'm going to say it. This is the best musical episode that we've had of Star Trek this year. No, I, look, anything where they sample uh, George Takei going, oh my, and repeating that over and over again, yeah. um, I will always. And having Sulu and Riker walk in with their musical instruments going, we're here to jam. Yeah. yeah. It's a cheap laugh, but the half explosion cut off to the credits at the end will never not be funny. <laughs> of course, I have some of our, our favorite Favorite, I do in inverted commas, characters from the animated series, and we have not seen since our uh, three-armed and three-legged crew member. Yeah, Eric's played by Jimmy Doohan in the animated series, so it was weird that we had Scotty played by an actor who is not Jimmy Doohan in this episode. And if they were really playing to fans, they would have had the same actor play both of those voices <laughs> because that's what it was in the animated series. Um, so yes, they were ridiculous and silly. And I particularly liked um, Worst Contact, where they are the grossest people ever and put their fish head casseroles into the microwave. Oh, yeah, that was the worst one. Um, I, I don't even want to spend time on that one. It had some redeeming characteristics, but as soon as they really. was like, oh, that's where you're going? Okay, I, I think I'm yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, we're done. Yeah, just blow blow up blow up the warp drive and get the hell out of there. Yeah, my summary is I'm glad they ran the experiment. There were a couple of chuckles in there, but I'm also glad it's done. I, 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 won't, <laughs> I won't be hanging out for the next run of very short tracks. <laughs> 